Well, good evening. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, would you take it out, please, and turn to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. We're going to read a couple of verses from Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter. Uh, we're going to read verse 17 and then drop down and read another verse later in that chapter here in just a little bit. So if you're in Jeremiah chapter 32, you'll be ready to go when we reach that point in the lesson. I'm a little bit nervous about tonight's lesson. Um, I thought it was a really good idea, and I put together my notes, and I really liked it. And then I was looking over my notes this evening, and I realized that I, I kind of come across as a jerk in some ways. Uh, so I'm going to be open and honest tonight, so be gracious to me, please, with the lesson. Um, maybe a good way to start is to try and find some common ground on this. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever been distracted in worship. See, I'm not the only one. Not the only one. Okay, now raise your hand again if you've ever been distracted, not by like a phone going off or something else external, but by something that is actually happening like in the actual worship. Anybody else been distracted by something like that? Okay, good. Uh, I think a good example of this may be uh, with our transitioning from the Lord's Supper with the, the, the plates and emblems being up here to the Ziploc baggies. Uh, anybody else been distracted by the Ziploc baggies at different points? Um, I've been distracted by that. Um, and, and so what I had to do with those Ziploc baggies is I have to turn it into something that actually relates to what I'm doing so that my mind stays on uh, what we've come here to do. And so that small noise uh, after we partake of the bread and then partake of the fruit of the vine and you kind of, it's almost like a rain shower, isn't it? Like all the little baggies and you can hear them kind of just cascading and it, and it rises to a peak and then falls again. What I've had to do is that's, that's all of these souls that are saved by the blood of Jesus, and we are all partaking together. And that rain shower, I've come to imagine in my mind, is, is just God's mercy and grace flowing down on all of us. Um, is that silly? Maybe. But it's helpful to me knowing that my brothers and sisters in Christ, we are all partaking together of these emblems, um, and God's mercy and grace is found as we do this together. Um, what about... In regard to our singing, uh, we all have songs that we like and songs that we don't like as much, right? And if there's a song that we sing that I don't like the words to for, for whatever reason, sometimes what I have to do is I think about that song throughout the week, if maybe we sang it on a Sunday and I didn't do a good job focusing on praising God while we were singing it, and I ask myself, how can I understand these words in such a way that I can sing it with joy and enthusiasm instead of a bad attitude saying, who wrote that? That's awful. Um, and there have been times where I've studied a song and it come, I come to the realization that it was me who was awful and I missed the true meaning of that song. Um, have you had experiences like that? Um, my first application tonight is this. Uh, if something bothers us, or annoys us, or distracts us in worship. And it's not something that's sinful that's being done, it's just our own preferences. You know, I wish the prayer was different, I wish there were different songs that were sung, I wish we partook of the Lord's Supper the old way instead of the new way, or whatever the case might be. In those moments, God deserves for us to get over our hang-ups and figure out a way to focus on Him. Amen? 
Worship is about God. It's not about my personal preferences. And there are going to be times that there are things that that annoy me or distract me in worship, but God deserves my very best even in those moments where everything is not perfectly according to my liking. So that's my first application. But that's not really the lesson tonight. That's really just background on the lesson. I want to make specific application to one such thing that has annoyed me at different points in our worship and where my coping mechanism to deal with that thing might actually be helpful to you as well. Uh, Not just in coping with this particular thing in worship, but also as we think about this kind of worship. And I'm talking about prayer and a specific phrase that is sometimes used when we go to God in prayer. And it's this phrase, God we just. Um, And a lot of times, you know what my face has looked like when somebody's prayed that? Just like this. And we're doing that again. Because... The reason why is that phrase is used, God, we say, God, we just, whatever, and then five or six more times over the course of the prayer, it's, God, will you just do this or do that? God, we just ask that you would forgive us. We just need your presence. We just ask you to heal this person. God, we just ask that you could give us peace, and so on and so on and so on. Why does that bother me? Because I'm a bad person. But it bothers me because just means only. It's a superlative like worst or best or least or most or the EST words, furthest, heaviest, strongest. There can only be one just. We're saying God to just do something. When you just ask for something, you're asking God to only do that one thing. Now, should this bother me so much that I preach a lesson on it? Of course not. No. But again, this is a me problem. Not really a problem with those who are leading the prayers. It's a vocalized pause. And for most, it's just reflexive, right? We don't even realize that we're doing it. And the ironic thing is, I've caught myself doing it in prayers that I've prayed to God because because I've heard friends and brethren pray in this way. But whether it should or not, it's something that, that distracts me. And so I had to figure out a way to say amen to it And this is what I came up with. Uh, And maybe this will be helpful to us as we consider what our prayers to God are from the perspective of God we just. Four things. Number one, God we just ask can be an acknowledgement of God's power. And so we say it like this, right? God, you can just do this. We believe you can just do this, right? Uh, We know that you can. The ease with which you can do it is you just do it because you're God and you have that capability. Uh, Maybe I should take it as a compliment, but um, one of the points of contentions in in my marriage with Stephanie and I uh, through the years has been her overestimation of how good I am at certain things and her underestimation of how fast I can do those things. And so, you know, we have conversations, and she's like, you know, Reagan, can you just re-brick the house before I get home, please? You know, and then it's not bricks. Like, what's the deal? Why isn't it bricked, right? Um, No, that's a silly example. Let me give you a real one. Uh, Before Fall Fest in October of last year, we had some boards that were kind of getting a little rotty on our back deck, and so Stephanie asked if I could replace those boards on the back deck. And so, sure, I said I would do that. And so... Uh, the next day, um, I, I think I worked here at the office in the morning, and then 
Then I went after lunch, I went over to Lowe's. Well, I went to the bank first to take out a loan so I could buy some lumber. And then I went to Lowe's and I bought some lumber and I bought some screws and uh, and I went home and I'm, I'm measuring everything, I'm, I'm working on everything, make sure I've got just what I need. And I didn't quite have everything that I need. Um, and so I went back to Lowe's, got everything else and, and everything's set up ready for me to go the next day. And Stephanie gets home and and she's like, what did you do? And I said, well, I did all this. She said, you just did that? Well, yeah, it took a little while to do it, right? And so the next day, um, I worked all day, and I was so proud of myself. When she got home, all of the old bad boards were out, all of the new boards were in. And she was a little bit put out with me, because I was still in my work clothes. She said, what have you been doing all day? I said, I've been, I've been replacing the stuff on the deck, right? I feel like I should give her equal time to like reply to what I'm saying here. Uh, and, and she said, well, it, did it take you all day? And I said, yes, it took me all day. And I had to have help. I had to call Pat to come and help me. Uh, maybe that slowed us down. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and so Stephanie's response to that was, well, you just had to get the old boards out and put the new boards in. What's the big deal? Well, those boards were rotted, right? And so a lot of the screws didn't come out, and uh, we're trying to draw those screws out. Most of them didn't come out, so I'm having to get a, uh, a pry bar out there, and I'm, I'm breaking up the wood and so forth. And I get in there, and then the supports are rotted in a few places, so I have to put some new support boards in and then get the new boards down. And I've got I've to cut them to the proper length, and then I've got to make sure I lay them down properly where everything looks nice and so forth. And so, in her mind, it was, you just do this. For me, I'm like, there's a lot more work involved with this. But with God, it's just the opposite, isn't it? With every single thing that God does, He can just do it. In creating the universe by the power of His voice, He did it in six days for our benefit. He could have done it in six milliseconds if He so chose. And so when we ask God to just do something, that's exactly what He can do if He so chooses. Nothing is beyond His power. And we see that over and over in the Scriptures, that that theme repeated that, that God's power is such that He can do anything that He chooses to do. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14, when... Uh, these angelic messengers come to Abraham and Sarah and say that she's going to bear a son. And they laugh at that. Remember what this messenger says? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, answer the question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Let me hear your head rattle this way or that way. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And that same phrase is repeated in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, or a very similar phrase is repeated in regard to Mary and her birth with Jesus. A miraculous, immaculate conception? <laughs> is anything too hard for the Lord? Here in Jeremiah 32, we see a similar idea. Jeremiah is praying to the Lord and he's praying for understanding. And he says in verse 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. And he reminds himself that God can just do whatever. And it's seen all around us because of this universe that he has made. And God actually responds to Jeremiah in the same chapter in verses 26 and 27. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? We pray to God to help because God can help. Whatever it is, however big or small the problem, God can just do what needs to be done. And so, when we say, God, we just ask, it is an acknowledgement of God's power. Secondly, this God we just ask can be an appeal to God's providence. God, just act. Um, remember that Nike campaign, uh, the famous Just Do It campaign? Well, what is that saying? It's saying, don't mess around. Why are you waiting? Just do it, right? Just act. Just take action, whatever that action might be. And maybe in regard to God, we are appealing to His providence. God, I'm not sure what to pray for, but I need you working in my life. I need your direction and power. God, just act. However you choose to act, act. Uh, Turn to Romans chapter 8 if you would. Romans chapter 8. God, we just need you to act because... Oftentimes, we don't know the proper course of action. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? You fall on your knees before your Father in Heaven and you, you don't know what to pray. Uh, you, you know the desired outcome maybe, but how to get there, the path between here and there is totally obscured to you. And so you cry out to God from your heart and ask Him to just work. To work in whatever way is needed to bring about our ultimate spiritual good. I think Paul is describing that very process in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Luke 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we ought. Not all the time, but sometimes. But the Spirit itself, or Himself, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts, our hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now I am more and more convinced that this passage is describing our spirit, that our spirit Our mind, our heart, is the thing that Jesus looks at when He is trying to make intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. I don't know what to pray, but God, You know my heart. You know my spirit. And so Jesus, take that to the Father. Take my my spirit to His so that He might know what is in my heart. And the reason why I'm convinced of that, a couple of things from this passage. Nowhere else in the Holy, is the Holy Spirit, in all of Scripture as far as I can tell, nowhere else is the Holy Spirit described as interceding for me as I communicate with the Father. In fact, our Lord Jesus is described repeatedly as our intercessor or mediator as we speak to the Father. Um, you're taking notes, so let me give you some examples of that. Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 9.24, Hebrews 10.19, 12.24, and 1 Timothy 2.5 are all good examples of that. That's Hebrews 7.25, 9.24, 10.19, 12.24, 
and 1 Timothy 2.5. Jesus is our intercessor. He is our mediator. And I recognize that those passages I've listed address acceptance of God and our salvation and not specifically communication with God. But the consistent language and pattern that we have of praying to the Father in the name of Jesus seems to me to demand that communication is an integral part of His mediation. Why do we pray in Jesus' name, amen? Because Jesus is the intercessor. He is the reason why we have the right to come to the Father and for Him to hear and answer our prayers. If Romans 8.26 that we read just a second ago has God the Spirit interceding for us, then do we now have two mediators? You know, Jesus is a mediator, but the Holy Spirit is also a mediator. Or do we have two levels of mediation? You know, the, the Holy Spirit is there mediating with Jesus, and He takes it to Jesus, and then Jesus is mediating between the Holy Spirit and God. God can do whatever He wants, but, but that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. If, however, the Spirit interceding here is my Spirit, the Spirit itself, then it fits contextually with the idea that, that I struggle. I struggle in my mind trying to pray for and say the things that are most needful for me. You've experienced that, right? God, I want what's best to happen, but, but I don't know what is best. And sometimes that's not just an intellectual thing, sometimes that's an emotional thing. Something happens in my life, and I'm a mess emotionally. And prayer is hard, and thinking clearly is hard. But I've given myself to a spiritual mind, as is described earlier in this chapter, and going back into chapter 7, then I will almost certainly have groanings that exceed my ability to communicate. God, you know what's in my heart, in my spirit. And so, he who searches the hearts, in verse 27, is Jesus. And he understands my mind and my spirit and can intercede for me. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. But God knows what is in our hearts. So we pray to God. I don't know what you should do, Father, but I just want you to do something. Just do something, whatever it is. This thing that maybe I think is the right thing or something else, and I know that it will ultimately be for my good. There's another phrase that we use for this concept, right? Um, that we pray according to His will. That His will be done. Uh, turn over to James chapter 4. We are not presumptuous thinking that our will is going to be done. But we believe that God is working and God can work. And so in verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live to do this or that. Nothing in this life is certain. And this little word just is a reminder of that. God is working and I want God to work. So it's an appeal to God's providence. God, just work, however you might work. And closely tied to that, but a little bit different, is our third thing. God, we just ask, can also be an acceptance of God's justice. God, we justly ask for this. Uh, your will be done, like number two, but it's also trust for God to do what is right. 
God, we aren't asking you to do anything outside of your character. We aren't asking you to do anything outside of your will. We're asking, we aren't asking for you to give us anything that isn't right or just from your perspective. I'm reminded again of the book of Genesis, um, where Abraham says in Genesis 18.25, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? God is going to do what is just. He is both just and the justifier. And so He is going to do what is right and just for us. Um, And God, if what I'm praying for isn't right, isn't just, if this isn't it, then don't do it. May your will be done, not mine. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you would, where Jesus is teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, It's a pretty short prayer, but it hits on the major aspects of what we should be praying for. And if you notice there in verse 10, he says in the second half of that verse, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that's not just like number two, an appeal to God's providence. You know, your will be done, do your will. It is also an obligation. I am obligating myself to try and do God's will as well. That I am going to do what is right. I'm submitting my will to yours. Not just that I desire for your will to be done, but that I will do your will. And so we justly ask, for this thing that it is that we're asking for. And if it is not just, if it's not right, if it's outside of your will, then God don't do it. Um, is that a stretch? Yeah, it's a stretch. But it's helpful to me to think about it in those terms. I view it as asking for God's will to be done. And then finally, number four, and maybe this is closest to the actual usage of this word in most cases, God, we just ask, can be an acknowledgement of God's power, an appeal to God's providence, an acceptance of God's justice, and then finally number four, an accounting of our priorities. God, this is what we want you to do. This is what we're asking you to do. God, we just need you to do these things. And this is not in any way a denial of point one, that God's power is such that He can do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or even think. We acknowledge God's power to answer in ways that we cannot imagine and we cannot ask for because we can't imagine it. But it is an acknowledgement and an accounting that I have some priorities and my priorities should match up with God's. God has the power to do anything. And we are instructed as Christians, Peter says, for us to cast all of our cares on Him. Not just our big concerns, but our small cares also. But from our perspective in praying to God, I know that there are things that you can do, God. But these are the things that I personally view as most important. 
What we pray and what we pray for reveals our priorities, doesn't it? If it's truly important to us, then we will pray and we will pray fervently and we will pray importunately. And if we aren't praying for something, that reveals something of that that thing's priority in our life as well. Maybe it's not as important to us as we thought it was. And maybe the best example of this, there are a number of examples that that we could use, um, but something that I've prayed, the example maybe that I used even at the beginning of the lesson, God, we just need forgiveness. Is that the only thing that you need in your life? Maybe not. But if God just grants us forgiveness, anything else is gravy, isn't it? And so maybe if we pray it from that perspective, God, we just need forgiveness. Anything else you choose to do, I will be grateful for. Anything else you choose to do is fine, but this is what I need the most. And maybe too, it's an accounting of our priorities in terms of we know that we must go to God and He is the one who's the only one who can grant that forgiveness. We studied this morning from Psalm 51, and it kind of bled into both of my lessons today. Well, we didn't actually get to Psalm 51. We just talked about 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where David actually sinned. But I read Psalm 51 a great deal this week, and and David's attitude there. And we remember in verse 4 of Psalm 51, he says, Against you, talking to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Is that literally true? Is God the only one against whom David had sinned? No, of course not. He sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and the other men that were killed in the withdrawal with Uriah. He sinned against Joab. He sinned against the nation of Israel. But he is making a point about his priority, isn't he? That when it gets right down to it, the one against whom he has sinned the most is God. And all sins are an affront to God. Even if there could be a so-called victimless sin, God is still the one against whom we have sinned. And the Net Bible makes this point by translating the verse in a slightly different way. Uh, New English translation, the Net Bible says, Against you, especially you, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And the footnote that they give for this chosen translation is this. It is likely that the psalmist is overstating the case to suggest that the attack on Uriah was ultimately an attack on God Himself. To clarify the point of the hyperbole, the translation uses especially rather than the potentially confusing only. So David did this in his prayer too. Not the same word, but he's basically praying, God, I have just sinned against you, isn't he? And God, I just need forgiveness. Yes, I need other things maybe. But I am happy if I can just be forgiven. I I hope that I haven't given you too deep of a glimpse into my mind tonight. And if I have, will you just forgive me? (laughs) But I do think that there is something powerful to consider these four points. Isn't this what prayer is? When we make the choice as Christians, those who are saved by grace through faith, those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
who look to God as our Father and Jesus as our intercessor, when we choose to pray, that is an acknowledgement of God's power. We pray because God can do something about the things that we're praying for. When we pray, it is an appeal to God's providence that we desire God to be working in our lives. When we pray, it is an acceptance of God's justice that God knows what is right and I do not. And so whatever God chooses to do, that I will accept because I know that I love God and He's promised, we read it from Romans chapter 8, that all things will work together for my ultimate spiritual good for those who love God to those who are the called according to His purpose. And prayer is ultimately an accounting of our priorities and our faith that these things are important enough, not just these things, these people, for whom I'm praying, are important enough for me to go to the Creator of the universe and ask for His help in their regard. So, if you get up here, I was worried about time. I didn't know what he was going to pray and if he's going to use that phrase. I don't think you did at all. I was listening for it. I hope I wasn't distracted. If you get up here and pray and you say, God, will you just do this? Or God, will you just ask? Know that I'm on board. I'm behind you. But most of all, what I'm asking is for you to just pray. We need prayer. Uh, as the phrase goes, we need prayer warriors. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. How much more the effective, fervent prayer of all of these righteous men and women. So let's pray to God knowing that He hears and answers according to His will. And if you're already a Christian and there is sin in your life, well, you need to appeal to God. You need to come to Him in humble repentance and confession. And we are promised in the book of James that, that the prayer of the righteous can, can see that, the, that those sins are taken away from you. That we can pray for you, we can pray with you, that God might forgive you. But if you're not yet a Christian, you must first come to God in humble submission to do what it is He calls you to do in repenting of your sins, confessing Jesus as the Christ, and being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, that you might have that intercessor and mediator between you and God so that you can go before God's throne of grace and mercy and know in the name of Jesus that He hears and answers your prayers. So if you need to do either one of those things this evening, or if you just desire the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ, we're here for you. Come now, while together we stand and while we sing. I am resolved no longer.